You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chris Neal. So my name is Chris Neal. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. I also get the honor of pastoring the men here of Grace. And man, it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's done some amazing things over the last decade. And I'm humbled and honored to get to be a part of it. And so today we're going to talk about kingdom manhood. Okay, it's going to go great. People online are excited. <laughs> I can feel it. So kingdom manhood is kind of like a, a tough subject. Like, because what is a man supposed to be? And what's a man supposed to do? And what's a man supposed to become? And when do you know you're a man? Like, was it when you first started getting those little hairs on your chin and hairs on your chest or hairs, you know, whatever? Maybe when you started shaving those hairs. Like, I'm a man! Ouch! Right? Was it when you got your first deer or maybe you got to go hunting or you got a home run or your first electric guitar or whatever it is? Like, we were a man then. What about when you got your first kiss? What about when you were 16, you got your driver's license and the hair, like the wind's just blowing through your hair. That's what happened to me. I had a convertible. It just blew too hard. <laughs> That's not that funny. What happens if you're 18, you turn and you can go to an R-rated movie? You're a man then, right? You can join the military. You can move out. What about when you're a man, like if you could drink more than other people, if you could fight better than other people? You get more women than other people, like have more money and power. Like, how do you know when you're a man? To my knowledge, nobody, nobody just came and gave me a man card and said, you're a man. But <laughs> there are some obvious things that make a man a man, right? I remember when my, when my wife Katie and I were getting ready to have our first baby. And we went to the ultrasound to see if we were going to have a boy or a girl. And so the ultrasound tech, she's just scanning around, scanning around, scanning I just don't know. Like, I just don't know if this is going to be a boy or a girl. And I'm sitting there going, what? Like, and I finally said, ma'am, look at this right here. And she's like, sir, that is the umbilical cord. <laughs> so, pardon me. Apparently you do need to go to school to be an ultrasound tech. <laughs> Who knew? So I just kept quiet the rest of the time. <laughs> so there are some things that make a man a man, Right? But it's hard, like, how do you know when you're a man? How do you know what a man is supposed to be? How do you know what a man is supposed to become? Like, what is the definition if someone were to ask you, like, what is a man? Would you just make one up? That's what I did. And the more I do men's ministry now, 10 years I've been doing men's ministry, that's what a lot of guys do. We just make up a definition of manhood, and we just run with it, Right? And sometimes we'll take that thing to the bitter end, no matter what. We're not changing. And so whether men know it or not, we're like we're left just kind of wandering around and just picking and choosing a manhood that kind of works for us without ever really considering what a man is supposed to be. And then like if I want to be a godly man, like what's that supposed to be? Like if I want to define my manhood next to scripture, what does that look like? And too often, especially in America, like a man is someone of strength and bravery and achievement and courage. But when you look at that against scripture, 
That's really not what we see in Scripture that defines a kingdom man. In Scripture, we don't see all the strongest men and all the biggest and all the brave and all these achieving stories in Scripture. We see different things. So how do we define what a kingdom man is and what a kingdom man should become? And for most of us today, like we couldn't give a compelling definition of what a kingdom man is even supposed to be. And that's one of the main reasons we started winning manhood here at Grace. Was to help young men and men of all ages start winning at manhood. And we partnered with this thing called For King and Kingdom. To help men start living out their kingdom destiny. And we're creating these new things, these milestone events for young men. So that hopefully... It will lead them to a life where they'll start winning at manhood and become life-giving men at a younger age. We're also creating these milestone events for older men. So no matter how old or young you are, you will have the opportunity to see and to live out a life-giving kingdom manhood that works here at Grace. Essentially, the vision is to get this community of men that are life-givers everywhere they go. And they help other men win at manhood. And so, but where do we go to get the definition? How do we get going? So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis this morning. Because that's where kingdom manhood began. Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. And Genesis 2.7 says this. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So from the dust, God created this man, Adam, and he breathed the breath of life into his lungs and he became a living being. So we were designed by God for God and we were created first and foremost to bear his image to the world everywhere we go. And if you're a woman here today, you don't have to check out. You don't have to get on your phone and say, oh, no, they're talking about manhood. No, you have a huge role to play in this. You have a huge kingdom destiny here. Then just elbowing your husband in the sides, not what it is, right? Okay? Because you're raising sons, some of you. Some of you are encouraging brothers. Some of you are, like, listening to and praying for friends that are men. Some of you are loving your husbands. Loving your dads, like you have a huge role in creating kingdom men of destiny. A huge role, ladies. And one of the best things you can start doing this morning is to pray for them. And then set a timer, set an alarm, and pray for them every day. That they would become a life-giving kingdom man of God. So less elbowing today and more praying. But God, he also gave Adam a free will, right? A free will to obey. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. It said, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free, free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will certainly die. So God gives Adam a free will. And God wants Adam to choose to follow God's will. And then God gave Adam a work to do in the garden. Create and cultivate. Take care of the garden, Adam. Genesis 2.15, the, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. So Adam 
was given this job where he was going to partner with God. And he was going to cultivate the garden with God. And essentially, God and Adam were going to work side by side to create this like goodness that's all throughout God's creation. And that little English phrase to take care of it is actually the Hebrew word shamar. And so shamar meant that Adam should guard the garden. He should protect the garden. He should watch over the garden. In a sense, Adam was giving, like, given this life-giving work to do in the garden. Adam, take care of God's creation alongside with me. You're the guardian, Adam. And one of the interesting things about Adam is the Bible says that Adam was created outside the garden with eternity and like destiny set in his heart. And then God takes Adam and puts him inside the garden. He says, now you are to care for this garden, Adam. You are to guard this garden and you are to protect it. You have a work to do in this garden. It's almost like God knew that men needed boundaries, right? That we needed focus. That we needed to have a will to obey and a work to do in order to become a kingdom man. And then even, if you don't go to church, you've never been to church much, don't know much of the stories, many people have heard this part of the story. Adam eats the fruit. Adam's kicked out of the garden forever. And Adam makes up his own definition of right and wrong. And Adam essentially makes up his own definition of what manhood should be. And as a result, Adam failed. But failing a manhood didn't end with Adam. We have men all throughout Scripture. They look like these promising men. But these men fail at being coming like these kingdom men that God had called them to be. Noah fails. Abraham fails. Moses fails. David fails. All these men, they failed at exemplifying this kingdom manhood that God had set in the garden. And don't get me wrong, these men, they did some incredibly wonderful and amazing things as they worked with God and alongside God. But ultimately, we see in their stories where culture and the world got to them, and they let passivity take over their lives. And ultimately, they did not come the beginning of man that God had called them to become. And so this brings us to Jesus. And Jesus, he had a, a will to obey, right? He had this Father's will, and Jesus followed his father's will passionately like Jesus was greatly in love with God the father and he followed the father's will passionately and Jesus he had a work to do and Jesus's work was redeeming the world that's a big undertaking and he did it by taking on the shame of the cross and he died on that cross but the story didn't end there right remember Easter like he rose again and anyone who believes in him can have eternal life but Jesus, he rejected passivity, and Jesus changed the world. And Jesus did these things courageously and passionately. Jesus chose to live and to model for us a kingdom, life-giving manhood that works. And so, a little thing about passivity, because rejecting passivity, even if we don't really know what that is at some point or another, but... But when we hear that, we're being passive. Men just want to rip off their shirt, and they just want to grab a giant leg of lamb with the juices running out. And I say, I'm the man, and I'm going to control the world. Did I say that loud? Yeah, that's just me. But honestly, we started these, uh, these winning manhood groups, uh, and I was like, pilot groups. And I wanted to see I said, if this stuff resonated with the men of grace. And we talked a lot about passivity. And they're like, okay, okay. And then finally one day, one of the young guys said, I'm not really sure I know what passivity means. And then several of the older guys, yeah, I'm not sure I know what passivity means. 
Well, that would have been nice to know a few weeks ago, but here we go. Right? So passivity is the acceptance of what happens without an active response or any resistance. Passivity is just floating through life, and you let life define your manhood, and you let life and the circumstances of life define who you're going to become. That's passivity. You do nothing. You just idly sit by and watch life happen. But when we reject passivity, we become active in our role in the kingdom. When we reject passivity, we don't idly sit by. We actively seek out God's will for us to obey. We actively seek out God's work for us to do in his kingdom. We actively seek out how we're going to become a life-giving man of God. And we resist anything that comes against that. Men, and here's one of the first things I learned when I really like, wanted to become a kingdom life-giving man. I wanted to reject passivity. Here's one of the first things I learned. It's Matthew 6.33. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added or given unto you. So men, young and old, you will never live a kingdom, life-giving manhood that works until you put Jesus first. You will never live a kingdom, life-giving manhood that works until you reject passivity and start growing spiritually first. And then I see these men, they do this, and I see these things like wisdom and character and integrity and a good name being added to their life. Like I've seen this in hundreds of men. I've seen this in myself. I've seen this. And God, he designed us, and he gave us a free will. But you got to choose to follow God, and then you have to choose to put in the work to get there. It's not going to happen overnight. No one accidentally stumbles into being a life-giving kingdom man of God. It takes rejecting passivity and intentionally choosing to pursue this. And from my time with these retreats and all this other stuff, I think men want this. Like, I think deep inside they want to have a life of destiny. I think that God has written that across a man's heart, and that is beautiful. And I think deep inside that, that men want to have a life that matters. Like, they want to have a life that's going to matter, and they want to live a kingdom legacy. I think most men want that. And this survey kind of backs it up. So there was a survey given to 1,000 men that attended church regularly, and they asked these 1,000 men if they would die for what was written in the Bible. And guess what? 933 of these men said they would die for what was written in the Bible. They believed it that much. Beautiful. And then they asked these thousand men this question. They said, well, how many of you actually read the Bible daily or do some kind of devotional daily? 300 men read the Bible or did some kind of devotional daily. And I think sometimes, men, we want to die for these passionate causes. Like, you know, we want to, we want to like, just die for these courageous things in our lives. We want to be heroes. We always want to be your heroes, lady. That's the secret. Like men always want to be the hero. They want to be these kingdom men of destiny. They want to live this kingdom legacy. They really do deep in our hearts. But sometimes I think men don't even, like they don't even understand what they're willing to die for. Because they never took the time to actually live it out. Because they didn't really care enough. 
And so hear me on this part of it. When I say that God wants you to live out his word and that God wants you to live out his word courageously, it doesn't just mean that you get your man card and you get your man card stamped, you know, because we do all these manly things. And in America, man, the church and, and culture is kind of defined uh, largely what a man is and what a man is supposed to be. And I think this is probably especially true in the South because I grew up in a rural farming community in the South. And this song by old Hank that says, we can skin a buck, we can run a trot line. That thing resonated with me, right, as a farm boy in the South. But the more I live out this manhood, this kingdom manhood, and the more I get involved in this kingdom manhood stuff, I realize that kingdom manhood is way bigger than old Hank ever thought about being. God has crafted each man in here and online unique and special. How boring would it be if he didn't? Like he, he's crafted each one of us with skills and passions. But he's also made each and every man in here a mandate that what you do needs to honor God. And my friend Gary is one of the best examples of a kingdom man that I know. And Gary has this epic beard, right? Once you get past the beard, he's not really like a manly, kind of buff, manly man kind of guy. Because Gary, he paints, and Gary plants flowers, and he does gardening lectures, and Gary grows gardens, and Gary plays instruments, and Gary makes beautiful music. Like, and he sings these songs. Gary made, or God made Gary to be a man that is nurturing and life-giving. And because of that, Gary has been an incredible friend and mentor and spiritual father for me for over a decade. I would not be the man I am today if Gary did not take the time to become one of my spiritual fathers. And God brought him into my life. And Gary has shown me what it means to love God. And Gary has shown me what it means to love men through community. I've seen it. So God's not asking us to match culture. God is asking us to stand up reject passivity, and live out kingdom ethics to all the people that are around us. You want to find something hard to do, men and young men? That takes guts, especially in these days. But this is the tension, right, that all men face. And all the ladies thought we were just looking at our phone. The truth is there comes a day in a man's life where he's got to stand up and he's got to draw a line in the sand of his life, and he has to say that I want to become a kingdom life-giving man. There comes a day when every man in here, every man online, you got to go and you got to look in the mirror and you got to say out loud that I want to become a life-giving man of destiny. I want to become a life-giving man. For real, like you got to find a mirror and you got to look at yourself and you got to say, if you want to make the world a better place, you got to take a look at yourself. Everybody knows it. And then you got to moonwalk into your kingdom destiny. Listen to what James says about that. He says, do not merely like, listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. For anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. How sad is that? And so 10 years ago, I went and I looked in the mirror I said, I want to become a life-giving man of destiny. I want to become a life-giving man of destiny. And then I sat down, and I started typing it out on iPhone 4. Still in the note section of my phone. 
I still have the iPhone 4. No, I'm just kidding. On 4-21-13, nearly 10 years to the day, I sat down and I started typing this stuff out. I said, God, I want to become a kingdom man of destiny. God, I want others around me to see me live out this kingdom manhood of destiny. I said, God, I want to become a kingdom dad. Like, I want to be a kingdom husband. I want to be a kingdom friend and a kingdom brother and a kingdom son. And then I started talking about my kids. And I said, God, for both my kids, I want them to see a man that loves and respects you, God. I want them to see a man who prays for them and with them. I want them to see me praying with their mother every day. I want them to see a man that is giving of his time, his energy, his resources, serving God. That's what I wanted them to see. And after that, I went to the mirror and I said this, God. I said, God, for my daughter, I want her to see a kingdom man that loves her so much. I want her to see a kingdom man that has patient love. And she is almost 12 and it's getting difficult to be patient in love. <laughs> like I want her to feel secure in my love, though. I want her to know that an app is not more important to me than her. I want her to know that a TV show is not more important to me than her. I want her to know that even when the Chiefs are winning the Super Bowl, and she said, Daddy, i got to ask you a question. The Chiefs are not more important to me than my daughter. I want her to know that hunting and all these other things are not more important to me than her. Like, I want her to see me love her and respect her and take care of her. I want her to see what a kingdom man is. And then when she's older and some dude comes up to her and he offers her this fake love that's not seeking God, like she's going to see everything that he is not. And this love that he offers her will be foreign to her. And she will not accept this foreign love that this man has to offer her. Or if she just wants to be a single Pringle her whole life, right? At least she will know the pattern that I have set before her of what a life-giving kingdom man should do and how he should live out his life. And she'll know. Before my son Caleb, I went to the mirror, true story, and I typed all this out on my phone. And for Caleb, I said, I want him to see a man that's in control of himself and his emotions. I want him to see me love and respect his mom and his sister. Like, and I want him to never see me say one thing to his mom's face and then go somewhere else and say something totally contradictory to that behind her back. Like, I don't want him to be able to look at my phone. I want him to be able to see every picture that's on my phone. Like, I want him to see this strong, confident, life-giving man that loves him, that offers him real love, and I want to tell him I love him, and I want to hug him. These big daddy hugs and these big daddy kisses, right? I want him to know what a man, what a life-giving man should look like. And then when he is older, guess what? He will have nothing to offer the world but what he has seen me doing. And have I failed at this? Not a chance. That's why I'm doing the middle. Of course I have, man. <laughs> Hashtag not so good sometimes. But each day I get back up and I try to follow out this kingdom life-giving manhood that Jesus has set before us that works. Like each day I try and reject passivity. Like I refuse to let passivity win. And I start fighting for the kingdom man that God is calling me to become. My family, they have a better kingdom destiny than for me to sit and passively watch life pass me by. My family has a better kingdom life to live than for me to just sit passively doing nothing. And I can feel it, man. There's some men here today and you want this. Like you want this in your life. 
And so how do we become these life-giving men that give life everywhere we go? It all starts with Jesus. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. For this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So I don't know who I'm preaching to today. But all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And what we see are a bunch of men gathered around Jesus looking, out, looking for loopholes about how they're supposed to live out their kingdom man of destiny. And Jesus says, surrender to God and have authentic relationships with other people in your life. This is life-giving. Kingdom manhood, first and foremost, has always been life-giving. If you're wondering about kingdom manhood and if you're living it out, ask yourself, is what I'm currently doing life-giving? Like, are these pictures I'm looking at life-giving? Are these reels I'm watching life-giving? If it's not. But Jesus, he lived out and modeled for us a life-giving manhood that we can live out too. He really did. Jesus was in love with the Father, and he surrendered to the Father's will completely. Jesus had authentic relationships with other life-giving men. When you see Jesus, like you see that he nurtured those around him. Jesus, he took care of widows and orphans as best he could. Jesus, he comforted the grieving. Like Jesus, he stood beside the marginalized. Nowhere in scripture do we ever see Jesus belittle or make fun of the marginalized people that were around him. He always went to them and loved them and helped them. He fought against culture, that the, the culture that said, this is how a man is, this is what a man does. And Jesus is like, no. A life-giving man does this, and he presented it, and he passionately followed God, and he lived this out. An authentic, life-giving manhood that each one and everyone, everyone in here can choose. And the cool thing is, over the years, wherever you see somebody just trying their best to live out this life-giving manhood, and over the years, like I said, it's going to take some time, but you start seeing these men, and they're life-givers. And the people that are around them, they're encouraged by that. And I see families, and they start to thrive in that atmosphere. And I see women and wives, and they feel valued and safe and protected by men like this. I see sons, and they're drawn to this because deep in their heart, eternity has been set by God. They're drawn to it. Like I've seen daughters, man, they just flourish in it. I've seen workplaces and communities and schools, and they are better for it. I've seen it. And that's my hope and my prayer for all of you this morning. So he would go find a mirror sometime this week. And he would scream in that mirror that if you want to make the world a better place, you got to take a look at yourself and then make that change. And anyone in here today, you can start to choose to live this out, this kingdom, life-giving manhood that works. Like you really can. But it's not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to be easy. I've been doing this for a decade now, from the first time I started typing that out. Apart, and also you can't do this without community. Alone and separated and isolated, man, you're always going to like live out these cheap imitations of what a life-giving manhood is supposed to be. But through Christ and with the relationships of other life-giving men, like you can live this out. I've seen it. You can become who God designed you to become, and you can be who God designed you to be. 
If you desire this, man, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Tommy. We would love to talk. Email us, whatever it is, but get in touch. Don't, pa- don't let passivity just sit there and idly watch as your life goes by, and then one day you're 50, and like, what have I done? Especially you young men. Reject passivity. Because God, he has a will for all of us to obey. And God, he has a work for each and every person here to do. And God wants us to reflect his image to the world. And the world desperately needs it. Amen? If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.